Hey everyone. Good to see everyone this morning, whether you're here with me in the room or we're together online. I'm just glad we're together. Good morning. Blessings on your Mother's Day. Before we jump into our sermon this morning, I want to remind you of the next series that we're starting in June. Every five years or so, we do what we call All Request Summer. And so your requests have been coming in. This will be the last time uh, I remind you of this, but uh, this summer in June and July, we're going to spend those two months preaching on subjects that you've requested. Um, uh, maybe there's something you're just super interested in, you'd like to learn more about, something you've never heard a sermon on that you'd be interested to hear what God's Word has to say on that subject. Feel free to scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you, or, or just jump onto our website, outlookchurch.org slash requests, and uh, we'd be glad to hear from you. Uh, so just uh, remember to do that if that's something you've been thinking about. Maybe you haven't gotten around to it yet. Feel free to do that. It's been fun hearing from all of you so far. Now in this series, as you heard Kate say in the video, it's called True or False. We are exploring the mixed messages and the unhelpful ideas about God that perhaps we've picked up along the way. And they're holding us back and robbing us of the rich and real life that God intends for us. And so we're diving into Scripture and learning what it says about what is true about God and hopefully dispelling some misinformation that we might be carrying around. And here's the one we're tackling today. God doesn't care about me and my problems. Maybe you felt like that at one time. A lot of us do or have. In 2015, the New York Times ran an article called Googling for God. It was exploring the number one, uh, the top God-related searches on Google. The number one God-related question asked on Google was, who created God? The second most common was, why does God allow suffering? We're actually going to tackle that one next Sunday. And the third question was this, why does God hate me? All right, I read that. It kind of knocked the breath out of my lungs for a minute. That's a big one. Why does God hate me? To many people, God seems remote. Dwelling in a faraway place called heaven, unconcerned with this dusty little sphere called earth, let alone us, these tiny little creatures living on it, called humans. And if these Google searches tell us anything, it's that many people, for, for many people, God as they have come to understand God so far, doesn't care for them at all. Now, perhaps we get this idea from the well-worn image of God as a watchmaker. You might have heard that, remind, remember that, who wound up the world and now waits for us to just tick down to the end. But I'm here to say this morning that nothing could be further from the truth. To believe in the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is to believe in a God who cares. But when this idea, God doesn't care about me and my problems, man, when that starts to make sense to us, it's likely there are a couple of other things also happening inside us. And I would summarize them this way. First, my problems are just so big, and they don't seem to be going away. And I feel so very small. I can't believe that I truly matter. Anyone ever felt like this? Go ahead. 
You can say, yeah, I hope so. I hope we've all can relate, we all can relate to what we're talking about here this morning. Sometimes our problems seem so big, sometimes we feel so very small. The scriptures speak to both of these. So let's get started with the second of the two. I feel so small, I can't believe that I truly matter. Now, this is something I've learned about myself over the years. As faces go, I've concluded I have a pretty ordinary, indistinguishable face. I blend into the crowd easily, it seems. I'm pretty good with that. But it also seems that I look like a lot of other people. Judging by over the years, the number of people who've come up to me at a restaurant or something thinking they went to high school with me. Uh, I look like a lot, uh, for a lot of people, I look like someone you went to high school with. I remember uh, on one of our trips to Kenya, uh, got off the the bus with a bunch of us here, and uh, we were having dinner at a missionary's house. Missionary looked at me, um, and 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 just thought maybe she had met me before, but then realized she hadn't, and just said, "All you Midwestern pastors look alike." <laughs> Robin Priest, if you're in the room, I think you were with me on that trip. Yeah, and I I think you laughed really hard at that. Um, I think sometimes we can feel this way when it comes to God. In a crowd of 8 billion people currently on the planet, how could God possibly care about average old me? How could God even have the bandwidth to pay attention to my everyday concerns? And this is certainly one of those uh, ways that God's vastness stretches even our imagination. Jesus addresses this. When we wonder and worry if God will provide for us and care We can remember these words from Matthew chapter 6, of these words of Jesus. He said to the crowd, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store away in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? And of course, the implied answer is yes, of course we are. We can at times feel insignificant, but we're not. Let that land on you here this morning. Any of us at moments may feel insignificant to others, even to God. Be assured, you're not insignificant. As a human being, am I truly important to God? The answer, friend, is yes. Much more valuable, Jesus says, than any bird, although God doesn't neglect a single one of them either. That's who God is. Now, Jesus felt like this point was important enough. He knows how often people need to hear it, that he actually makes it again a few chapters later. He's about to send out some of his followers to spread the message uh, to others in different towns. And he knows they're going to have a rough time at moments. He wants to assure them that God's going to keep his eye on them, that God cares for them. And he asks, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, he said. You are worth more than many sparrows. There is that assurance once again. God cares for each of us individually, specifically, personally. Yes, you and I, we're we're just one person. I'm just one. You're just one. But friend, there's no one like you. There's no one just exactly like you. 
Now, this belief is part of what defines us as Jesus followers, that God knows and cares for every single one of us. This is central to our understanding of God, a God who loves and cares. So this idea, this thought, I don't matter, is something we are here to refute. We, as followers of Jesus, exist. One of the things we are here to do is to refute that. To, this, this idea is a dark idea, and it is a darkness that we are to shine a light on and dispel any human who begins to feel they don't matter. It's the seed of suicide and self-harm and depression and desperation and so much suffering. We are here to tell each other as human beings that we matter. Amen? In the summer of 2020, I stood here and I said that the lives of black people matter. Now, that set off no small amount of debate and disagreement about my choice of words and the order in which I use them. And that's okay. I welcome any healthy version of debate and disagreement. A lot of good things flowed from those conversations. But when we allow to take allow this to take our eyes off the ball of loving others well, which, friends, is what we're put here to do. To love people well and fully. When we take our eye off that ball, we miss a lot, and it's heartbreaking because we're just the people called to do it. Love others fully and well. Why did I say that? Why did and does it need to be said that the lives of people of color matter? Because for generations and centuries and systemically and at times cruelly and relentlessly, the message that history and society sends by both action and inaction is that the lives of people of color don't matter, not often and not for much. And so it's a cry. Don't fall for thinking that these are merely political issues and arguments. In fact, I think that's a distraction and a trap. It's a cry of a human heart. And so here is what I believe love looks like, regardless of any political interpretation. It's very simple to me. People who have been made to feel they don't matter need to hear from us that they do, to us and to God. I'm just simple-minded enough to believe that it's that simple. Galatians chapter 6, it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we as humans need to know we matter. And when we feel like we don't, something in us cries out. And for us as Christians, people who deeply believe just how fully and wonderfully each person matters, We will add our amen to the soul needing to hear that they do indeed matter when they feel as though they don't. God does care. Amen? And one of the ways he does so is through his people. In other words, these aren't just ideas. These are things we live out. 
Last week, the Surgeon General officially declared that we are in an epidemic of loneliness. Now, I don't mean metaphorically, like someone said, wow, loneliness is so bad in America, it's like an epidemic. No, the Surgeon General literally issued a report that we are in an epidemic of loneliness, that it's plaguing Americans, it's jeopardizing well-being and health. And in this report that was released, there is a detailed framework officially titled the National Strategy to Advance Social Connection. We're so messed up right now when it comes to our loneliness and our inability to connect with other people as human beings that we need something called a National Strategy to Advance Social Connection. Our nation is suffering. Loneliness is making people sick. It's linked to an increased risk of anxiety and depression and heart disease and dementia and other health problems as well as early death. Lacking social connection has the same health consequences, the study says, as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. So if human care, if we're talking about people, and we've all felt this way at times, Talking about the idea, I don't matter, and God doesn't care about me and my problems. That that is a man. That that is an idea that's like a virus that can get in us and really take us into some dark places and self-destructive places and places of despair. If that is what's happening, no one cares for me. I'm disconnected. If human care and connection is what is so obviously needed that even the Surgeon General will declare that we're in an epidemic for the lack of it, then ladies and gentlemen, I give you the church. Because God invented it. Because He knew how we're wired. He made us. He knows we need each other. And the church should be a place, the place, the best place, where people can feel cared for, known, and loved because people need to feel care. It's not just an idea I agree with. It's something I feel. If I'm going to be convinced that I'm cared for, it's something I feel. And nowhere and nothing like the Church of Jesus Christ can provide that as well. We lean into his people because that is where we find the greatest, highest love, at least it's supposed to be, at the church. So the Bible tells me that God cares. You, if you're someone, maybe you're tuning in online today or after the fact, or maybe you're, you're here right now, and you've been wondering, does God really care about me? Is he paying any attention to my life? You might not be surprised that the preacher will be up here and say, tell you that the Bible tells you God cares. Okay, sure, right? But God's people, if God's people don't seem to care about me and my problems, then that first thing becomes a little harder to believe. It is much easier for people to believe that God cares about them and their problems when his people keep undeniably caring about them and their problems. I feel so small, we sometimes think, that I can't believe I truly matter. God designed the church as a place where no one should feel small. Amen? That feeling should not get any oxygen in God's church. So that's one of the things that goes on in us. I feel so small, I wonder if I really matter. But the second one we mentioned is that my problems seem so big and they're not going away. And often our problems are indeed large. A diagnosis, a divorce, a miscarriage, a bankruptcy, on and on. And I have zero intention of minimizing our trials or belittling our feelings about them. 
But I am here to boast in the Lord and to remind us of just how much bigger God is than even our biggest challenges. How deep His love, how tender His care, how trustworthy His character. And when our problems seem to have no end and we feel that we may have been forgotten by God, man, that is a natural and there is nothing, that's a natural thing to do and there's nothing new about it. Let me go back all the way to Psalm chapter 10, Psalm 10. Written so long ago, this psalmist starts out, as several psalms do, with lament and complaint. This, this verse 1 of this psalm says, Why, Lord, do you stand far off? And why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? We've been there. We know what this psalmist is feeling. They're going through a tough time and they're wondering if God's paying any attention at all. But if we will keep introducing God into the situation and into the conversation, if we keep understanding at least that there is a God who will listen to that lament and that complaint, if we give any, any chance for our minds to meditate on the reality and the goodness and, the, and the, the, the truth of God, then we end up coming to a different conclusion by the time we're finished. So do the Psalms, certainly this one. By verse 14 we read, But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. And ultimately, the Lord is king forever and ever. That once we begin to turn our thoughts to God, we begin to remember the good things He's done for us and the ways He has taken care of us at different times and the things He's even seen, we've even seen Him do in the lives of people that we know and love. And a little bit of thought and a little bit of getting that steam off, you know, off the top and getting some things off our chest, we begin to realize God really is a helper. God really is paying attention. He really is king of everything. Problems look larger when we focus on them and not the Lord. And we all know that's true. We've all experienced that. In Mark chapter 4, we find Jesus and his disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee overnight. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and as a furious storm blows in, the disciples are taking on water, and they are in fear of their lives. And they wake Jesus up, and they demand, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? We can relate, right? Wake up, God. I could use some help here. Don't you care? And we forget, as these disciples did, that we've been told we're going to the other side. That's what Jesus said as they prepared to leave earlier that evening. Let's go over, he said, to the other side. The sound of the storm had drowned out that promise, that assurance, and we've all experienced that too. The storm in my life, maybe yours, may be blowing, but Jesus is in my boat, right? He's in my life. I belong to Him. And no matter how loud or that storm feels or how much water I feel like I'm taking on, I can trust Him, that He does care. And He will quiet the storm when He chooses. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus and his whole crew are hanging out at the home of their friends, Mary and Martha. Martha is bustling about, preparing to feed them all, while her sister just seems to be sitting around. And Martha erupts, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. 
Do something, she says to Jesus. Are you seeing this? Teacher, don't you care? The disciples, Lord, don't you care? In Martha's case, things seem unfair. She's so bothered by it. It sounds like she's almost giving Jesus orders. Tell her to help me, right? And we, like Martha, need reminded by the Lord of what truly matters. Are we near him? Mary focused on what can be learned at Jesus' feet. And Jesus said to Martha, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and I won't take it away from her. Cease your striving, Jesus is saying. Sometimes what we perceive as a big problem is something less than that, right? Questioning God is a very human thing to do. God, are you there? God, do you care? Feeling that way is not a sin. But when such feelings come, we have to remind ourselves and each other of what's true. I appreciate what author Lisa Turkhurst once wrote uh, on this very subject. She said, what we may feel like is a lack of intervention is not a sign of God's lack of affection. In other words, God runs on his own timetable, right? She also wrote uh, similarly, God loves us too much to answer our prayers at any other time than the right time. Sometimes we think we know what the right time is, right? But if we lay our timetable next to God's, what are the odds that his is wiser, smarter, surer, more reliable, and taking everything into account compared to ours? It's easy to think that we know what the right answer to a prayer should be, or the right way to answer it, the right time, but God knows best. When we feel like God doesn't care, when we feel like our problems are so big and we feel so small, when God seems so far and our prayers seem to go unanswered, when our trials continue and we've all been there, we fix our eyes on Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It is precisely in moments like this one where we have to choose where we focus. We have to choose to focus on truth. We can rehearse our blessings, right? We can remember the ways God has indeed shown his care. We can come to church and be led in beautiful songs like the ones we just were and sing out loud, He loves us. Oh, how He loves us, right? We need reminded of that, and we need to remind each other of that. When God doesn't seem to see or notice, we remember that difficulties and trials are part and parcel of this earthly life. We remember Jesus' summary of the situation in John chapter 16. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart! I have overcome the world. The Apostle Peter was in the room when Jesus said this, and we can also remember his equally cogent summary. Cast all your anxiety on him, because why? He cares for you. Let's say those last words together, but let's replace you with me. Amen? He cares for me. One more time. He cares for me. So I, I don't know how you came to this moment this morning, but I know this. If you're tempted to give up, 
If you're tempted to wonder, God, does God really care? Please don't give up. Please be reminded He does care. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on yourself. God certainly hasn't given up on you. As we wrap up this morning, let's just, let's just think about this for a second. We, we, we may choose to believe one thing. God doesn't care. We may choose to believe that. But we also can choose to believe something else. Something based on sure stuff, firmer facts, eternal realities. That while we can easily forget them, remain true. God does care. And let me just, one other little challenge for everyone, especially if you're just checking out what it means to follow Jesus, or maybe you've been ignoring him for a long time, and, but, you, but now you're wondering about him, and you're, you're giving him a shot in your life, or you're exploring this truth. Let me just ask, what if God does care? What if this is true? What if the God of the universe knows and cares about you? What would that mean for you? In your life? What does that mean for me? What does that change? It tells me he's with me, tells me that he's paying attention to me. It gets a little risky because if God really cares for me, then can I really afford to ignore him? If God is thinking thoughts about you specifically, if this is true, then can you afford to think no thoughts about him or not give him the time of day or, or a decent chance to ex- express his love for you? An opportunity to, to explore his reality, his truth in your life? I'd invite you to do just that. Hopefully you can find Outlook to be a safe place where you can explore exactly those things and begin to realize he does care and he's worth your attention. Every week at this moment, I'd invite you to take your bread in your cup if you grabbed one on your way in. We remind ourselves of this very truth we're talking about this morning, that God cares, that it's real. There's a verse in the Bible, maybe you've heard it, even if you don't know much of the Bible, you've probably stumbled across John 3.16 that tells us that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we might hear that, we might even think, yeah, that's probably true, or that is true, or I do believe that. But it can be easy to feel like we get lost in the mix of that God loves the whole world thing, right? Like, okay, sure, God loves the whole world, but I feel a little lost in that crowd. Every week we personally remind our, stop everything and remind ourselves that we haven't been lost in that crowd. We never were. C.S. Lewis once wrote about this. He said about Jesus, He died not for men, but for each man and woman. If each man had been the only man made, he would have done no less. Every week when we take the bread, we're reminding ourselves, Jesus died for me. We take this bread, and in thanks, we remember and celebrate Him. Let's take and eat together. And every week when we take the cup, we do the same. In celebration, in remembrance, we thank him for the love that cost him everything. A love that he has for each of us. Every one of us and each of us. Let's take and drink together. 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this really beautiful truth that we've been reminded of this morning. That you have your eye on every bird, every sparrow, and yet we can somehow doubt that you would keep your eye on us. Aren't we much more valuable to you than they? We believe, based on your word, based on who you are, based on what love is, we believe we are more valuable and that you do pay close attention to our lives. Lord, we all go through tough times. Some of us are going through maybe very difficult times, even even right now. Help us to remember, Lord, how much you care. It can be tempting to forget that, to think that you've taken your eye off us, you've forgotten about us, you're neglecting us, but you haven't. You're the best father, the best parent that we could ever ask for. So we lean on you and your people and we trust you. We thank you for making a way where sometimes it just doesn't seem like there's any way. That's what you're good at, Lord. And we celebrate it in Jesus' name. Amen.